But let's dive in today. We are actually touching on today the second most requested topic that you said via the Easter response card that you wanted to hear from. A little bit of a preview. Next week, we're actually going to touch on the most requested topic. Uh, But today, the second most requested topic is the topic of stress. You all just felt stress right now. Come on. My hope is by the end of today, you'll feel the opposite of stressed. You know, stressed spelled backwards is desserts. Come on, somebody. (laughs) My hope is after today, you felt like you just had a great dessert. A little tiramisu or a little cheesecake. I don't know what your flow is. But uh, uh, you can tell it's getting closer to lunch. Um, is that you feel that by the today. But stress is something we are all familiar with. In fact, the World Health Organization, uh, they define stress in this way. That stress is the state of worry or mental tension caused by a difficult situation. The state of worry or mental tension caused by a difficult situation. In fact, stress, up until 1923, stress was primarily used as a physics term. Uh, It was actually a Dr. Hans Sele in 1923. He was a physician. He had a number of patients who came to him, and they they were coming sick. And they all had a common symptom. That symptom was stress. So he coined the term of stress, this idea of what was known as physical pressure upon a physical object, now is saying this this external, even times internal pressure that we feel mentally in our mental health and our in our psychology. So he coined this term of stress, and in fact, the uh, Journal of Internal Medicine uh, did a study uh, a number of years ago, and they found uh, between sixty to eighty percent of all doctors' visits are stress related. Uh, so come on, if you, if you get to manage stress in a better way, it will lower your doctor bill. Come on, somebody. Now, I know I'm also in a room full of doctors, so uh, we'll move on. So, but we all have faced stress, haven't we? And there's, there's symptoms of stress. There's some common ones. And, and here's, I would encourage you to do this, is do some self-reflection to discover what is stress has it manifest for you? So physically, um, tense muscles, uh, headache, high blood, uh, blood pressure and heart rate, uh, flush in your face, uh, fatigue. Um, mental health-wise, it can be uh, irritability, anxiety. Even some people have kind of a deeper form of, of sadness when they're stressed. Um, it can manifest in a variant ways, and uh, clearly it causes uh, physical health and mental health complications in our life. No one would say, of course, there's a, some acute stress which can be good for us, but what I'm talking today is that kind of chronic stress, that stress that does damage to our mental health and our physical health. And, and then there are ways we can manage stress that aren't necessarily helpful. In fact, I, I had a, a counselor uh, tell me uh, a few years ago, he said, Jeremy, if, if we don't learn to relieve stress in a healthy manner, you will then end up relieving stress in an unhealthy manner. Uh, there can be ways you can relieve stress in an unhealthy manner, uh, whether it's alcohol or drugs or uh, food or uh, escaping into entertainment. There's various ways that people can end up. So it's important. In fact, let me say this. It might be a strong statement. It's imperative. We learn how to manage stress in a healthy way because the complications are significant. And uh, so today we're going to talk about how do we manage stress in a healthy manner. In fact, the Bible has things to say about stress. So we're going to dive into it and see what it has to say. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Your word is truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And today as we, we open it up um, to talk about this idea of stress and, uh, Lord, how we can manage it in a healthier manner, God. We just open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to receive for what you have for us today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Uh, it was interesting, actually, one other, uh, I had, I, I'm kind of a, when I get research, I, I'm kind of a research uh, junkie. I love to read studies and all of that. But I found one was intriguing back in 2018, the Washingtonian Magazine. Um, catch this. They found the Washington, D.C. area was the most stressed metropolitan area in the nation. Come on, our sports teams can't win, but we are the most stressed. <laughs> That's right. Put that on a banner. How many of you know this? We also are native to the most overworked city in America and with the worst traffic in America. So we just keep bringing up those championships. 
Uh, now if just the nationals and, and wizards and capitals and commanders can follow suit. Uh, but, well, let's, uh, let's dive into some scripture today. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight. I'm going to start with the words of Jesus. Always a good place to start. He said this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come on, sign me up, Jesus. Uh, he goes on to say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Have you ever read that before and thought to yourself, my burden doesn't feel real light right now. <laughs> my, my yoke of my job doesn't feel real easy right now. My, my yoke of, of, of raising these kids doesn't feel easy right now. My yoke of this relationship doesn't feel easy right now. But he talks about this yoke or this pattern. There's a way in which we can live to experience relief from stress or peace. Uh, and I want to, kind of our main passage today is Psalms 23. And that's where we're going to look today and kind of unpack. Psalms 23 is written by David. Uh, David was a shepherd and he writes kind of from this, kind of this framework of a shepherd. Uh, but the first three verses give us some practical guidance on how to find some peace or relief from stress. Let's read it. Psalms 23 verse 1 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. I want to share with you kind of off the top kind of my message or my sermon in a sentence. And it can be, it's this, that we can experience stress relief when we follow God's pattern of peace. We can experience stress relief when we follow his pattern of peace. Let's look at that real quick. Uh, point one, if you're taking notes, and you know if you're not taking notes, just write this down, is that we must, we must rest our body. We must rest our body. Psalms 23, verse 2, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, in this, this Psalm 23, it's all about shepherd and sheep, and if you know the scriptures, Jesus uh, refers to himself as our good shepherd, and we are his sheep. Uh, if you know anything about sheep, sheep are not known for their intelligence. Uh, they're not known for their good decision making. In fact, let me give you context of Psalm 23 here. Sheep would commonly, um, it, it, a good shepherd forces their sheep to lie down. Here's why. Sheep will often not lie down on their own. They will keep going until they exhaust themselves and fall down. Can anybody else relate with a sheep right now? They'll keep going to the point where they just go ahead and fall on down, like, I'm done. So a good shepherd's going to be like, it's time to go to sleep. Come on. As parents, remember when your kids, maybe you have this, are young enough, they don't want a nap. You're like, you need a nap. Right? You, you kind of put them to sleep. And, and here it is, a shepherd, he's saying, puts his sheep to sleep. And, and what he's saying is here is that, man, we have a propensity to do the same thing. Has anybody else, you know this, you've overextended yourself before to the point of exhaustion? Like you knew there was a line, and then you, you kind of pushed over it, and you're like, ah, I did it again. And then you know you're exhausted, right? You're irritable, you got a headache, you're frustrated, you want nobody around you. You're like, I pushed it over. And, and God came to give us rest. In fact, Psalm 127, 2 says this, it's useless for you to work so hard from early morning to late at night. Anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Aren't you grateful? We have a God who gives us rest. Uh, now, please hear no condemnation because this is a, many of you know have been around Catalyst. This was a struggle for me for years was, was uh, I would be that, working early in the morning to late at night, exhausting myself. And, and if you find yourself maybe there where you're constantly pushing yourself, that, that sometimes it can be the demands of others, but sometimes it's your own internal driver. Do some self-reflection. Like, why do I push myself so hard? Am I trying to, to prove something to someone? Uh, what can be commonplace is we get our value from what we accomplish or produce or achieve. So we push ourselves because we have to earn our value. And let me just encourage you that before you ever did anything for God, when you were in your mother's womb, he actually already deemed you valuable enough to put his son Jesus on the cross for you. So there's nothing you have to do. Nothing can actually change the value God placed on you before you ever breathed your first breath or took your first step. You have value before God. 
So he wants us to rest, but rest can be hard. Rest can be difficult. Rest can be a challenge for us. It's important that we rest. I want to speak to two kinds of rest because there's, of course, sleep, uh, which the average American per recent studies get under seven hours of sleep. Uh, most physicians, sleep experts recommend seven to nine is what we need. Uh, in fact, there's a, there's a relation. The American Psychological Association did some research back in 2008 between um, a lack of sleep and a rise of cortisol levels in your blood. Um, in fact, the, the American Psychological Association went as far to say this. They believe that every American, every American, regardless of your sleep patterns, could benefit from an additional 60 to 90 minutes of sleep per day. So write this down. Take a nap. <laughs> Go home today. Come on. Sometimes the reason you're so stressed, you just got to take a nap. Come on. Right, sometimes the spiritual is practical. Like you ever woke up, I have this, you ever woke up for a nap and you just felt holier? Or like, I'm no longer mad. I'm no longer frustrated. But it's true, sleep does something for our stress levels. It, it kind of lowers your stress level. So getting proper sleep is important. But then there's what, what's called active rest, which there was a, a, a book uh, by Dr. Emily Nagoski, a behavioral scientist, wrote a book called Burnout. It was called Reversing the Stress Cycle. And they studied like, these kind of burnout and people who, who get so much stress built up, cortisol built up, they, they just get so fatigued. They either, you know, have to, they burn out, they, they quit their jobs, they have to change their life. And she coined this term active rest. Well, I don't know if she coined it, but she called it active rest. And active rest is basically the additional rest you need, we all need, outside of our sleep. And here's, this might discourage you, but it, it is the research. Here's what they find. If you actually don't intentionally rest now, your body will make up for it later. Through illness, through other worse things, death. They said your body is conditioned to need a certain amount of rest. Sleep and then what's called active rest. And active rest is, is things where you, you basically are turning, kind of turn off your mind. You're not working. You're not studying. Like active rest can even include cooking, can include doing laundry. If, if that turns your mind off, for some of you, like, that sounds like torture. Um, it can be reading a book. It can be uh, walking outside. Do you know even being outside, like, they've actually found that actually observing birds flying lowers your cortisol levels? Um, like, being outside, reading a book, spending time with friends and family, enjoying your food, not, like, looking at your phone or hovered over, like, your work while you're eating. Like, like taking those things. Exercise. Exercise is a big one. The research shows that actually exercise lowers the two stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol in your body, and increases endorphins. Uh, that's what they call our runner's high. Come on, that's a safe high, right? You, you can get, exercise is good for you. So there's a myriad of ways. Um, some form of recreation. Uh, there was a, a study in 2012 on the, in the annals of surgery. They looked at surgeons. They wanted to see, and some of you in the room, you are surgeons or you work in the medical field. They were looking at how do we prevent the burnout of surgeons. And here's what they found, that as little as 15 to 20 minutes a day of recreation, a hobby, was enough to help prevent and help manage their stress levels. So doing something you do just for fun, like it's not producing anything for you, just having a hobby in your life um, can do a lot for you. Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren, he had this like rhythm of rest he taught on a number of years ago. Um, and I love it. It's a great framework to apply. Um, there are three things he says. Number one, he says you must divert daily. Divert daily. Which means every day do something that, I'll say this, to refill your tank. Um, in fact, uh, I remember the year we, we um, launched the church, 2019, the weekend we launched the church. It was January 26th, was, uh, 27th was our launch date. But I have, uh, at that, that same weekend, so that weekend, you know, there's lots of kind of stress and pressure. The first service we ever have as a church. And wondering will anybody show up. Um, thank God some of you were there. You did. Um, that's the stress of every church planter. Um, and so that weekend, my iPhone started to act up. Like web pages weren't loading. Um, uh, my messages weren't sending. Um, phone calls were going right to voicemail. So I go to the Genius Bar in the Apple Store, 
Anybody else, you have this kind of faith? When I go to the Apple store, my phone's acting up. I just pray they'll say, here's a new phone. I'm like, in the name of Jesus, just go get me a new phone. What can I say to get a new phone? Don't, I probably shouldn't have said that, but I do think that sometimes. Um, but I never lie because I'm a man of integrity, and uh, we'll move on. Um, I share too much. So I go in there, and I, I begin to explain my problem. And the genius behind the genius bar says, well, how often do you turn your phone off? I said, never. I haven't turned it off since I got it. I mean, anybody else with me? You plug it in at night, you don't turn it off? Um, and uh, some of you are really holy. You turn your phone off. But I keep it for, like, white noise and my alarm and all of that. Like, I, I never turn it off. Okay, just, he says, for your iPhone to function properly, you must turn it off minimally once a week. For your iPhone to function optimally, you must turn it off minimally once a day. I said, the devil is a liar. <laughs> I said, you get behind me, Satan. Who's got time to turn the phone off? But I thought to myself, if my iPhone needs to rest, how much more does my body and soul need to rest? We got to turn it off. And this idea of, of divert daily and this idea of a rhythm of rest, in fact, this is a good question to ask yourself. In the same way you have to plug your phone in to charge it, what recharges your batteries? Some of you maybe are more introverted, and it's, it's like I recharge by myself, maybe doing something. Some of you are more extroverted, and you, will need, you need people around you. But knowing, like, what is it that re recharges you, that when you do it, it gives life back to you. You feel like that cortisol in your level kind of goes down. A true story, and a few weeks ago I was thinking about this message. And it was, it was one of those days where I had, like, 10 hours of meetings, and most of them were on Zoom. Um, which Zoom alone is a stressor. Anybody else, right? Come on, Zoom is a stressor. Uh, but I, 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 I could feel like the cortisol in my body. I become, I become more aware and aware of the years of my stress. I can feel it. I can feel the tension. So for me, one of my big stress relievers is, is lifting weights. So I went to the gym and I, I did a back workout and about 35 minutes of weights and 15 minutes of cardio. Um, yes, I always do less cardio than weights because cardio is terrible. Um, uh, I felt like a new man. The cortisol, like, flushed out of my system, just working. So it was like, so every day having something you do, what is it you do every day to sort of recharge your batteries, divert daily? Then he said, number two, is to withdraw weekly. And this is having what's biblically called a Sabbath, which we're going to speak to that in a second. Then lastly is abandon annually. Take a vacation. Go to the beach. Go to the mountains. Um, take some time to rest. It's important that we take the time to, to rest and to recharge our batteries because this is the way that God created us. So do some reflection. What is it that recharges your batteries? I love what Charles Spurgeon said. Rest time is not waste time. It is economy to gather fresh strength. And then the withdrawal weekly. Now, this is a biblical pattern of rest since the beginning of time. It's the Sabbath. Jesus in Mark 2, 27 said this, that Sabbath, and the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, here's he was correcting a mindset. The Sabbath was in the book of Genesis. God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. How many know God needed no rest, but yet he rested to model it for us? And then in the Mosaic law in the Old Testament, it was one of the over 600 laws they had to follow in order to have right standing with God. That's why you see the Pharisees in the Gospels, when Jesus heals on the Sabbath, they're like, you know, Jesus, you can't do that. But what happened was in the New Covenant under Jesus, which is that's what we're in now, New Testament church, New Testament faith, we don't have to obey the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is no longer a law we have to obey, but it's a principle we should follow. It's a difference. So it's not like religious, but, but Jesus is saying this. It's actually best for you if you have a rhythm of rest one day a week. If you have a day a week that looks different than other days. That's a day where you intentionally do some things to rest. Um, I, I love what A.J. Swoboda, he wrote a book on Sabbath, said. He says, Sabbath cannot save your soul, but it very may well save your life. Uh, John Mark Comer, a pastor in Portland, he, I heard him do a talk once, and 
he shared this study he read. A sports psychologist studied athletes, and they wanted to see what's the differentiating factor between, like, good athletes and the greatest. So, like, you know, NBA players and LeBron James. Or let's be honest, Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time. That's fact. Um, or, or the average golfer in Tiger Woods. Or the average swimmer in Michael Phelps, go Maryland. Or the average tennis player in Serena Williams. Like what differentiates these, these individuals? Here's what they found. It wasn't found in their training. It was found in their rest and recovery. That these athletes recover better than anybody else. LeBron James spends over a million dollars a year for his body to rest and recover. That they are intentional. He said that's the differentiating factor. Go back to Spurgeon's quote. Rest. Here's why God emphasizes rest. Because in the kingdom of God and the ways of God, we are called to value longevity over intensity. If someone burns out, it's because they valued intensity over longevity. And we live in a culture that will burn you out because we love short bursts of go. But the kingdom of God, catch this, we think in terms of weeks, months, and years. The kingdom of God thinks in terms of years, lifetimes, and generations. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And a biblical perspective is not to think so much about weeks, months, and years, but to think about what I am building. What I'm building with my life is to sustain for years, lifetimes, and generations. It will save your soul. It will save your life when we start thinking this way. And it helps to get perspective of having this rhythm of rest, which in a culture... A culture that tells us, hashtag no days off. You can take your hashtag no days off. Because you're eventually going to have to have a day off. Your body will eventually be like, shutting down. (laughs) (laughs) I quit. Tap out. But if you say, man, hashtag every week I take a day off. The Hebrew word for Sabbath means to cease from working. So whatever you do for your work, you don't do it one day a week. Let me give you three biblical and practical components of a healthy Sabbath. Number one is worship. Sabbath is not merely a day off. It is a day of rest unto God. You know what Sabbath reminds reminds us of? Here's what Sabbath reminds your flesh of. That you are not God and he is. He neither sleeps nor slumbers, but you better. That he is in control. Even when you turn off business owner, even when you turn off teacher, you turn off physician for a day of the week, you're reminded God's in control and I am not. It helps you worship. So if you're able to make Sundays a Sabbath for you, that you, you can worship and have this time. Second is relationship or community is to spend time with loved ones. Here's a good, here's a good filter to use. Is spend time with people who, who pour in, who give life to you. Like, spend time with friends and family who give you life and, and you enjoy. Um, have a family dinner. Ha- go out to lunch with, with close friends. And then lastly is rest. Take that holy nap this afternoon. Uh, it'll do something for your spirit. Um, but also do those things of active rest. Maybe go for a walk this afternoon or, or go to the gym or whatever. It is. Read a book, read a novel. Whatever it is that refreshes, recharges your batteries, do those things. Now, some of you here, your, your work schedule, you sometimes work Sundays and what does that look like? I'll tell you what my Sabbath looks like if it, if it will be helpful to anybody. So my Sabbath isn't Sundays. Uh, Sunday's a work day for me, a long work day for me. So I Sabbath on Monday. So what it looks like for me is I get up in the morning and I spend some extended time with God. Nothing crazy, but just a little more than what I usually spent. And then I actually, um, pastors who pastor me through their teaching, I listen to, um, to, to invest into my spirit and soul. And then that's worship for me. And then, then the relationship, I go on a date with the most beautiful woman in the world, my wife. 
Um, just got to keep spitting game, fellas. Keep spitting that game. Don't stop. Don't stop. Got to keep it fresh. Keep it on fire. Things don't stay warm on, on accident. Fire stays burning on intentionality. This isn't a marriage message, but it's for somebody in this room. You pressed cruise control in your marriage and you wonder why is the flame flickering? You got to invest in that thing. You got to tell her she's beautiful. You got to let her know. You got you to you rub her feet. You got you to do those dishes. You got to change that kid's diaper. Sorry, it's just somebody. Um, we have a date every Monday. It's my favorite meeting of the week. Sincerely, I love it. And then for me, I go to the, 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 uh, the driving range. And when I'm, when I'm out there, I think about nothing else, just me. Uh, sometimes I leave more frustrated because it's golf. But um, most of the time I leave refreshed. And then I come home, and the kids come home from school, and, and we have dinner as a family. And um, I know, here's how I know I've rested well. It's like on Monday, late afternoon, early evening, I'm ready to get to work. My soul's not like, oh, please, no more. My soul's like, let's go. So, so know of like, you know you've rested well enough to where you feel that restore in your, your, your body. So rest, rest, prioritize rest in your life. Here's number two, is, is that I have to, so I have to rest my body and I have to reprioritize my life. The psalmist says, he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. That tells me there's also a wrong path. There's a right path. There's a wrong path. Matthew 6, Jesus said this, verse 21. He said, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? In other words, don't, don't, don't stress about the state of your finances or your kid's school situation, or that problem at work. Don't, don't stress over those things. Watch this. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. He knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. Anybody else, you ever think this, if you've, if you've heard that scripture? It almost seems like an oversimplification to a complex problem. It's like, really, Jesus? Like, really? I just put you first. But can I tell you, you can trust the words of Jesus. Write this down. This, this is truth. You will never find lasting peace until God is first. Never. You'll have temporary peace, momentary peace. In fact, you know Jesus in John 14, he tells his disciples, meanwhile, his disciples are about to be killed for their faith. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. And you can have peace in me. That your peace isn't found in that problem at work being solved. Your peace is not found in an improvement in your marriage. Your peace is not found in that situation at your kid's school getting better. No, peace is found only in Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. And he's saying, you can be in the midst of chaos. You can be in the midst of financial hardship. You can be in the midst of chaos at work. Your marriage can have problems, but you can find peace in me. But you got to put him first. Seek him first. Let me get practical. Number one, your schedule. Here's how you know God is first. Here's a litmus test. When is the last time you said no to something else, including yourself, for God? If you've never said no to yourself for God, that means you are first. He is not. You are your own Lord. He is not. In fact, I would say our Western culture, 2023, the biggest idol in our Western culture is ourself. We are on the throne of our life. Whatever is true for me is true for me. Can I tell you, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the prince of peace. He is the alpha and omega. He is the savior of our soul. We can trust in him. He's got to be first. So that means, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir today. You're in church. First day of the week, I worship God. That means I say no to other events. That means I say no to kids' activities on Sunday. Because a soccer game will not save my kid's soul. But God will. 
I know I'm stepping on some toes, but I love you enough to not step on your toes. Well, I don't know if I said that correctly, but you know what I mean. I didn't do great in grammar in school, if you can't tell. But he's got to be first. Is he first in your life? Like, like here's, here's what I, that, that I did when I first came to Christ is I literally put it in my calendar, meeting with God every morning, prayer and scripture. This would be long. This would be 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Like, this doesn't have to be forever. It's just, hey, I'm first. I'm telling you, if you get that right, it'll set the course for your day. And then, listen, can I tell you this? The number one source of stress in America, it's, it happens every year. You want to know what it is? Finances. <laughs> Related to taxes. Finances. If you want financial peace, God must be first. You, you want, you want, financial peace won't come from a full 401k. It won't. It won't come from enough savings in your savings account. It'll give you temporary peace. But lasting financial peace comes in saying, God, you are first. I mean, God, I follow the way your scripture lays out how to manage my finances. I put you first in my giving. God wants to be first. It also means I surrender my will to God's will. If you want peace in your marriage, don't relate to your spouse how you want to relate. Let God's word be the primary guide. That we let God's eternal, never-changing word be the guide in how I love my wife how I love my family, and how I relate to work. You know the Bible has a lot to say about how you relate to work? To honor your boss? To not gossip? Can I say, you want peace in your workplace? Submit your will. Submit what you want to what God wants for your life. Can I tell you this? God actually wants more for you than what you want for yourself. God has greater peace for you than you could ever give yourself. But you have to it's the way that the, 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 the economy of life works. you got to put him first. Ecclesiastes 4, 6, Solomon, knows one of the wisest men in the world, said this, Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. Solomon was an incredibly wealthy, incredibly successful man. He wrote this. Um, the whole idea is this. That sometimes in a culture that we are conditioned to constantly want more, we are conditioned to be discontented. That he says this, sometimes less is more. That, that sometimes when it comes to your stress levels, can I just say this? Sometimes the stress we are under is self-induced. Because we've said yes to too much. And sometimes to save your soul, you should say yes to less and learn the power of saying no. It's like we can wonder, why am I so stressed? Like, well, you're working a full-time job. You started a side hustle. You're taking three doctor-level courses. You have three kids at home. You're on the board of the PTA, and you're on a nonprofit board. I'm stressed thinking about that. <laughs> Are you hearing me? Know your capacity limits. God gave you those limits for a purpose. He's not going to call you to anything outside of what he created you for. So if you're violating your capacity, it's because God didn't call you to those things. You got to say yes to less. And I, I don't stand up here before you either as like, I got it all figured out. We had a conversation this week, Christine and I, because as a parent of kids with the different activities, that we've realized we're going to say yes to less activities for our kids. Because we felt like our, our schedule got a little too busy recently with the kids. Just after school and this and that and this and that. Next thing you know, it's like, man, we need, we need to protect some just some time at home. Have family dinners. Just, just, one parent said, she told me after first service, said, said she says, protect some times for my kids just to be bored at home. Just to have some. Sometimes you guys say yes to less. Let me say this. Also, just because it's God's will doesn't mean it's God's timing. It's important we understand God's will and God's season. So my son Judah, he loves to wear T-shirt and shorts. Like if he had his way, school, T-shirt, shorts. Wedding, he'd rock a T-shirt and shorts to your wedding. <laughs> little Nike shorts, 
little Captain America shirt. Wherever he goes, fine dining establishment, T-shirt, shorts, sneakers. That's his flow. He will try to wear T-shirt and shorts to school up until it is physically unhealthy. Like, it'll be like the week before Christmas. He'll come downstairs in the morning with T-shirt and shorts. Then I'll say, well, Dad, I got long socks. I pulled them up high. Like, no, bro, you need to have pants on. And then just recently, he was so excited because two weeks ago when it got warm enough, it's like you could wear a T-shirt and shorts. We said, son, the time has come. (laughs) The season is appropriate. Rock those Nike shorts. Rock those T-shirts. He is wearing a collared shirt today in church, so that's always a a feat. It's an accomplishment. Some parents, you feel that pain. Um, But there is nothing wrong with T-shirt and shorts except when it's in the wrong season. And sometimes, yes, God's called you to start that side hustle, but maybe not right after you just got married. Maybe your side hustle, your side focus should be your spouse. Maybe you're called to that doctor program, but it might not be the season right now when work is extremely busy or you have young children. Discern God's will and God's timing. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I'm like, God, I want all of your will right now. Do it, Jesus. And I'm commonly reminded by the Lord, it's not no forever. It's not right now. And can I just say this? You do not want to fulfill God's will out of God's season. Here's why. Write this down. It's going to help you. Because you will be left doing it in your own strength. And you're not that good, boo. You really aren't. Like, you're not, you're not that good. I know you're smart, but he was the one who spoke the world into existence. So you don't want to do it without him. You got to have the right season. Ecclesiastes 3.1, Solomon says, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Might not be now, but it might be for later. Here's the third and final point. So you got to rest your body. You got you to value rest. You got to have times where you recharge then you got to uh, reprioritize your life, making sure God's first, and then discerning. Let me say this too. If we're trying to figure out, Jeremy, how do I know if it's God's will right now, or how do I know to, how to say yes to the right things? Two quick thoughts around that I think are important. Number one is to pray about it. Like before just jumping in, pray about it. And then secondly is to seek godly counsel. Can I tell you one of the things that I think I've noticed pastorally, even in my own life, that can save you from making bad decisions more than anything else is having godly counsel in your life. But here's the key. You have someone in your life that you ask for, hey, can you pray about this? I'm discerning this decision. Here's the hard part. Then you submit to them. That's the hard part. Because to go back to my previous point, we like to sit on the throne of our life. Like I said, we're, I know you're smart, we all are, but we're not that smart to, to not follow this word. This word tells us there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an abundance of safety in a multitude of counselors. That it's actually wisdom, it's for benefit your life to have counsel in your life. Here's point number three, my last point. We then have to refill our soul, refill our soul. The psalmist says, or David says in Psalm 23, he leads me beside quiet waters. One translation, still waters. You know one other truth about sheep? Sheep will not drink from a stream that's running. They're skittish. So it kind of bothers them. So a good shepherd, so a sheep will literally dehydrate themselves. So in order for a sheep to drink, a good shepherd brings them to still water. I think it's no mistake in the New Testament, Jesus in John 4, many of you know the story, it's the woman at the well, um, and, and Jesus is having this dialogue with the woman at the well, and she's coming to draw water, and he says, this water, you'll be thirsty again, let's drink it. But he says, those who drink the water I give, verse 14, will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. What is this water he's speaking of? It's the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, you should rest. You should reprioritize your life. You should say yes to less 
You should understand God's will and God's timing. But the X factor in our life as followers of Christ, that there is nothing that can give you peace like the presence of God. Nothing. In fact, in Exodus 33, God told Moses, Moses, my presence is going with you and I will give you rest. That what your soul longs more for than anything else. In fact, if you felt this during worship, if you feel something in worship, that's not emotion. It's not the lights and the haze. That's the Holy Spirit. And what's happening is your soul is being filled. The thirst in your soul that no success can give you, no amount of money can give you, no person on this earth can give you. The Holy Spirit himself is infilling you from heaven, filling your thirsty soul. The psalmist said in Psalm 42, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for the God the living God. Like your soul is thirsting for the presence of God. And sometimes what you need more than anything else is his presence. You know, physical dehydration has a number of uh, physical symptoms or consequences. Uh, Parched mouth, creased heart rate, flushed face, headache, confusion, even memory impairment. Now, if you didn't know you were dehydrated, you would think, Whatever this is, is taking my life right now. I'm on my way out. And all you need is cold water and some electrolytes. A little Himalayan salt. A little, little, little Gatorade. That's all you need, thirst quencher. You need to get yourself some electrolytes. And you're like, well, I feel like a new man. Can I tell you? Sometimes when you're under stress and you feel overwhelmed and you feel irritable and you feel anxious and you're having headaches, you're not sleeping well at night, you might think, I need to make a drastic change in my life. But actually what you need, your soul is longing, your soul is calling, your soul is yearning, your soul is screaming for the presence of God. He is the Prince of Peace. The Bible says he gives you a peace beyond your natural comprehension. It means a peace you can't understand, a stillness you can't quite figure out. I don't even understand why I feel this peace in the midst of chaos, but I have it. And that is the key, church, because Jesus did not promise an orderly life. He didn't promise a life without chaos or problems or stress, but he did promise he will never leave you nor forsake you. He did promise that even in the midst of chaos, you'll have my peace. He did promise that he will quench our thirsty souls. And you don't just need church on Sunday. You do need it, but you also need on Monday, you need his presence through prayer, through the word. One of the ways I do it, even like personally, if I'm in my car driving somewhere, if I'm doing dishes, man, just put on some worship music and spend some time focusing on him. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He is present everywhere all the time. The question is, are you aware of it? It's almost like you have the ultimate thirst quencher available to you at all times. The question is, are you willing to drink from it? He's always with us. Are we willing to take in the spirit of God in our life? Psalms 46.10 said this, be still and know that I'm God. There's something about when we, when we take the time in the presence of God that does something for us. I know for me, even this morning, right now in my Bible reading plan, I'm reading through uh, the book of Joshua. Uh, that's where it has me. And there's something about when you read the scripture and when you pray and when you spend time with God that reminds you as the song we just sung, we're singing as we close that worship, how great is our God? You're reminded of how great he is, of how good he is. I was reading through Joshua this week, and I was reminded how, how God was faithful to Joshua and the Israelites. He, he was faithful to Joshua when he took over from Moses. He was faithful for Joshua when he parted the Jordan River so they could walk through. He was faithful to Joshua when the walls of Jericho came down. He was faithful to Joshua when they took over Ai. That over and over and over and over again, even when the people of God were stubborn, even when they were faithless, God remained faithful. 
And can I tell you, when you still yourself and you fill yourself with the word of God and the presence of God, you're reminded how great he is. You're reminded how faithful he is. You're reminded how powerful he is. You're reminded he's a miracle working God. You're reminded he still parts rivers. He still opens up seas. He still awakens dead things back to life. This is the God we serve. And I'm telling you, there is nothing more that will help relieve the stress you're carrying than spending time with the prince of peace. This is the X factor. Like, do all the other things. But don't forsake this one thing. This is the X factor. Isaiah 40, 31. says, those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They'll soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. He said this to a group of people in captivity. Slavery. He says, I'll renew your strength. That even while you're being held under your own freedom, you'll soar on wings like eagles. You'll run and not grow weary. You know why I like that? Because every time I physically run, I get weary. In about 42 seconds. Anybody else? That's why I don't run. No one chases me. I don't break the law like that anymore. That's a different message. One, one, one time I did, but I don't do it anymore. Thank you, Jesus. But he's, I'll give you strength. My, uh, my daughter, Hannah, she's amazing. She really is. Um, she, uh, when she goes to school each day, she carries her book bag. And she has her laptop bag. And then she has um, her lunch bag. And one day a week, she has violin class. So she carries her violin bag. When I drop her off at school, she's like, she's good. She's got all bags. It's, it's almost funny to see. It's like she's got more bags than like her. You know, it's like <laughs> somehow she carries them. I'm like, you go, girl. She's going to change the world. But then when I pick her up in the afternoons, like you can tell she's, she's weary from carrying the weight all day. Because as soon as she sees me, she's like, Dad, can you take these? And as her dad, who's willing and able, I'm always like, yeah, of course. It's easy for me. I lift weights, remember? But here I thought to myself, I thought about that because um, two weeks ago, I was at this pastor's gathering. And a pastor who, he leads a very large church across multiple continents. Somebody asked him, how do you handle the pressures of leading a church that large? And he said, he said, here's what I've learned. And I've been pondering on this one statement since he said it. He said, I've learned that I have responsibility, but God carries the weight. He said, I have responsibility to play in leading the church, but God carries the weight of the outcome. Can I say this? You have a responsibility at work, but God carries the weight of the outcome of your life and your career. You have a responsibility to manage your finances, but God carries the weight of the outcome. You have a responsibility in those relationships and raising those kids, but God is the one who's called to carry the weight of the outcome. Here's what it was like personally for me. I have a responsibility to do my part to raise my kids to follow the ways of Christ. I have responsibility, but I don't carry the weight of the outcome of their life. So you know what I pray every day? Parents, I think this is a great prayer to pray over your kids. Every day. Ever since they were, they were babies. In fact, tonight, every, each night when I, when I pray for them, I'll, I'll, I'll lay my hands on them. And I say, God, I pray they will follow you all the days of their life. He will be a man of God. She will be a woman of God. A woman of your word. They'll never stray. They will live and follow the ways of righteousness and purity. And they will be world changers for your kingdom in Jesus' name. What do I do? I shifted the weight from my shoulder to his shoulders. I did my part. You do your part. You know, as a church, we're looking for a permanent home. You know what I pray every day? <laughs> we're doing our part. We're talking to real estate agents, construction people. We're, doing, we're, we're looking at properties. We're doing our part. I pray every single day. In fact, I invite you to pray with us if this is your home church. 
I say, God, I pray you bring Catalyst Church's home to us in Jesus' name. You go before us. I pray when people can hear about it and see it, they will tell this is a miracle of God. What do I do? I shift the weight. Shift the weight. I close with this. Because some of you are carrying a weight. I'm going to pray for you in a second. Here's what I want you to think of right now. Think in your mind. The biggest stressor you're facing right now. Think about it. We're going to pray over that in a second. I close with Psalm 23, verse 3. The Bible says, he refreshes my soul. One translation says, he restores my soul. That phrase the psalmist used, David used, was a common one known to sheep. It's a word picture. Here's the word picture. So sheep have a propensity to fall down. The phrase is actually called cast down. And there's one major reason why sheep cast down or fall down. It's because they're they're carrying too much weight they can handle. And here's why it's dangerous. When sheep fall down and they fall on their back, sheep are not like other animals, like a dog. They can't, like, get get up. They get stuck. And if a shepherd does not restore them, pick them up, put them back on their feet, here's what happens pretty quickly. Gas builds up internally, and they die of organ failure. 100% 100% of the time, every time, unless a shepherd's close by when he sees it. Here's three reasons why sheep are overweight. Number one is they're pregnant. Number two, they've been eating too much. Number three, they have too much wool. Their wool's too thick. So to the sheep who eats too much, a good shepherd, he'll restore them. But then he's going to feed that brother some less grain. <laughs> Won't get you on a diet, get you on keto. <laughs> to the sheep who's got too much wool, he shears them. Takes the weight off of them. To the pregnant mama, he can't take that weight. But here's what a good shepherd does. He walks right close by to her. Knowing as that, as that baby grows, as the weight gets heavier and she falls, he's right there. It's okay. I'm right here. That's the picture David gives us of God restoring our soul. That he wants to take the weight you're carrying, the weight of raising those kids, the weight of what you're feeling at medical school, the weight of your job, the weight of aging parents, the weight of the illness you struggle with, the weight of your financial strain. Here's what he wants to do. The same way a good shepherd relieves the weight, he wants to take the weight. And for those of you, you're just in a heavy season right now, like that pregnant sheep. Maybe you're in a season, you're raising young kids, your work, you're navigating so much, and the, and the weight of life is heavy. Here's the good news for you. The good shepherd's walking right alongside you. So every time you fall over, he restores you right back up. He is right there with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And when you release your stress to God, you find peace in your soul.